Hi everyone, and welcome to another thrilling episode of Opera After Dark. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. I'm Kyle. And we are excited to bring to you today a little podcast about the rock stars of the 17th, 18th, and a tiny bit into the 19th century, the Castrati. Mm. So we've got a lot to talk about, but before we do, Kyle, tell us about the wine we're drinking. Yes. So for today's selection... I assumed, granted, I don't know much of what we're going to be talking about. I leave that to you both. <laughs> kind um, of why you're here. Exactly. So, <laughs> um, but I. Oh. <laughs> yes. Start off with a bang. Uh, hey, oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, I, but I assumed that we would be talking about Farinelli in some capacity. Eventually. So, I yes. did mm-hmm. the most minimal research on the lad Mm -hmm. and found that he was from a region in Italy that is the Puglia region, Okay. which actually is a wine region. He's from a a location that's Puglia, but it's also a wine region. So I was like, hey-o. So I found a red blend from the Puglia region. Ooh, So we're drinking, yes, this is a Tormaresca red blend from the Puglia region, and it's 40% Negro Amaro, uh, 30% Primitivo, and 30% Cabernet. Oh. And it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit dry, but I don't mind a dry, yeah, a dry wine. Pretty mm-hmm. good. Do you want to ha- have a dramatic reading? Yes, please. Okay, so a ruby red wine named after the grapes in the blend, Negro Amaro, Primitivo, Cabernet, has aromas of berries and light spicy licorice. Mm. Oh, I, I guess it has a bit of a spice of a licorice. I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a harmonious blend with flavors of dark fruit, chocolate, and hints of licorice with a balanced acidity. Eh, more or less. Awesome. And now you know. <laughs> now we have that. I taste neither chocolate nor licorice in this, but I do not have an advanced wine tasting palate, so right. this I do is a good the, learning curve for the me. The acidity. But enough about wine. Why don't we... Here. I might regret this, but why don't we hear about Castrati? <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so I'm going to start with a little bit of the history, and then we're going to dive into the actual medical procedure. So get ready. I am jazzed about this. Goody. <laughs> so it begins, as most things do, sorry Kyle, with the patriarchy. Uh, <laughs> um, of course. It's all your fault. But well, it started not because specifically. men in general. Yeah. I mean you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you. Believe um, me, I'm aware of my male privilege. Excellent. So it begins because women were not allowed to sing in church. Mm-hmm. And in the pap- in the papal states, Italy especially, um, they're banned from singing, period. <laughs> so castration for singing, which began way, way, way before 1600, took place only in Italy, the geographic heartland of the one and only holy Catholic and apostolic church. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but England and London especially were really into the castrati, and they paid them fortunes to come and sing. The English did not castrate their own citizens. Right. Good um, on right. Good. And to be clear, the French were also like really not behind mm-hmm. the whole castrati thing. They thought it was appalling. I mean, so. Italy is really the only place where right. this happened. 
Uh, one contemporary of Handel commented on this, and he said, you Englishmen complain that castrati are too costly so that too much money ends up in Italian lands, but if you want to make all this use of them and still make savings, it's amazing that for such a profit you still can't castrate there. <laughs> so eight, eight years old was the average age for oh. choir boys to be castrated in the 17th century, though officially it was against canon and it was against civil law. Right. Pope Clement VIII admitted castrati into the papal choir in 1599, quoting as justification St. Paul's directive, which was, let women be silent in the churches. Great. The I, I, just, no, go ahead. I just realized that this is probably going to make me sad. Definitely going to make you discussion. sad. This right. I mean, later on it won't, because the ones that made it, the few and far between, had, you know, great lives. Yeah. Well, well... We'll get to the pros and cons of this in a little in a little bit. Okay. 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 So the idea to create castrati first occurred two centuries earlier than the 1600s in Rome, when the Pope had banned women singing in churches or on the stage. Castrati voices became revered for their unnatural combination of pitch and power, with the high notes of a prepubescent boy wafting from the lungs of an adult. Wait, so I'm just going to interrupt you for a second because we should yeah. clarify that basically the the result of this castration around or between the ages of 8 and 12 is that essentially it just messes with all the hormones and it prevents the child from, you know, kind of going through all the normal stages of puberty, mm-hmm. thus maintaining the soprano, boy soprano range or mezzo soprano sound. Exactly. Even yeah. though the individual will continue to grow, although slightly abnormally, we'll talk about that, mm-hmm. um, they they have this unnatural sound for a grown man, in quotations. Right, exactly. So with the Kyle's sudden... shaking yeah. his head in despair. <laughs> Kyle, power through Still it. Still depressed. Okay. So it was really the sudden popularity of Italian opera throughout the 1600s in Europe that created the international surge in demand for castrati. Um, by the early 1700s, it's estimated that around 4,000 boys a year were getting the operation. The Santa Maria Nova Hospital in Florence, for example, actually ran a production line oh. under oh a man named Antonio <laughs> Santarelli. And this is a phrase from the internet, so gelding eight boys at once. <laughs> Ew! Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> How do you? That's so awesome. I don't even want to know. Horrible mental images. All right. So as Naomi said um, a second ago, the operation, of course, affected the voice. Mm -hmm. Um, Their sort of resonating chambers were larger than normal in proportion to their larynx. So much so, this is getting Mm. kind of technical, that you can uh, surmise that with the right training, some castrati voices could deliver a sound of greater punch and more powerful resonance than those typical of women or uncastrated men. I hadn't thought about that, but that actually, yeah, I should have thought about that science of it, the increased lung capacity. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's hugely important. Exactly, exactly. All right. Okay, so I think now is a good time for us to take a little musical break. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that we can... Break things up up with some music. So what we're going to do is we're going to listen to an excerpt of an operatic aria that was originally written for a castrato role. But since we don't have castrati today, thank goodness Mm. for all of those boys out there. I bet you there's somebody 
Let's not go. Let's not no. go there. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine, fine, fine. So this aria is being sung by David Daniels, who is a countertenor, and basically countertenors are, I guess, the closest we come today of a male singer that can approximate that range mm-hmm. of the of the castrato voice. And so, in this, we picked this particular one the aria venti torbini because you really get to hear all of the crazy ornamentation that was demanded of the castrato singer so let's give it a listen Castration did wonders for the voice. It caused a lot of problems in the rest of the body, which you can imagine. It mm-hmm. created really large rib cages among them, and it really extended their jaws. Um, medical problems in middle and old age, uh, such as osteoporosis, were really, really common. Also, they, they generally, a lot of people describe in historical writing that the castrati had, like, abnormally long limbs and arms and so it really gave them kind of a strange yeah. look because they had long legs and long arms and then these big rib cages but then they tended and to carry were extremely the, tall, they were very they? tall yeah but they tended to carry a lot of weight in their midsection so it was like imagine like a it's kind of like stretched but then there's all this weight right around the, the middle well that's because they carried their weight where women carry their weight right mm-hmm. right so they were like sort of distended, like the Navi in Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's the what, but what's the reason for them to grow taller and have bigger rib cages? It's just the hormonal. It's just a hormonal imbalance. imbalance. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, but castrati could, um, when they're younger, actually pass for women. Most of them weren't able to grow beards, and often, like we we're saying before, they were shaped like women. And they developed, some of them, the secondary sexual characteristics of a woman, which mm-hmm. we can talk about later, like, you know, breasts. So they were kind of hermaphrodites, mm-hmm. which is right. amazing. All it's right. totally crazy. Rock star. Rock star. So the effects of castration on physical development were actually really notoriously erratic. A lot depended on the timing of the operation. Mm-hmm. Boys pruned before the age of 10, and that is a phrase from the internet, so I apologize in advance. I feel like pruned is a terrible word. So, I feel like a lot of listeners are cringing right now. <laughs> right. Hopefully. Well, pruned before the age of 10. Um, 
they often grew up with really feminine features. They had very smooth, hairless bodies. Mm. They had breasts. Uh, something called, and I'm really sorry, <laughs> something called an infantile penis. So, you know, the penis of a 10-year-old. It didn't continue to grow. Oh, man. Um, and they also had a complete lack of sex drive. Uh, fun fact, there which was... Is, which is interesting, because we're going to talk more about mm-hmm. this whole rock star status. Like sex symbols. But again, like it myths was around really them. erratic what right. happened to them when it happened. Because a lot of them... Well, we'll get into that yeah. later. Okay. Um, so the, much anticipation. I know. <laughs> boys that were castrated after the age of 10, as puberty encroached, could actually continue to develop physically, and they often could sustain erections. Hey-o. Hey-o. <laughs> Good on them. <laughs> While most Italian boys went under the knife at age eight, the operation was performed as late as the age of 12. <sighs> so we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. Are you, like, you're going to get into the procedure? I'm going to get into it. Hold on. <laughs> like, I want to know, but... But you don't want to know. It's I not as terrible know. as you think it is. How can it not be I terrible? say it as a human that does not... Have a penis. Well, I don't, I'm not trying to say that this is going to be so much worse for me than it is for you guys. It's like gruesome. I'm just like, I'm, I'm imagining terrible suffering and. Not really. Okay. But right. but also let's just tell. you know mm. this is the 17th and 18th century, so modern medical wonders mm. do not exist. True, true. So just keep that in mind. True, true. So the way it worked is that Italian boys who had promising voices would be taken to a backstreet barber surgeon. They would be drugged with opium, and they would be placed in a hot bath. The quote-unquote expert would then snip the ducts leading to the testicles, which would then wither over time. Um, We actually know little Mm. about the specific specifics of the operation itself. Um, It actually probably was pretty mild and relatively safe. Um, As I said, the testicles were either withered through pressure, maceration, or the cutting of the spermatic cords. Um, a mon- number of ways in which they could do that was they would crush the testes inside the scrotum without oh. cutting, uh, most likely uh, used for young boys and infants actually in the Byzantine Empire when this started. And also that was the most common way that it happened for Italian castrati. They also would actually cut the scr- I'm so sorry, kind of. <laughs> they would cut the scrotum open and they would actually physically remove the testes. Oh. This is actually something that did cause a lot of issues, but it was used a lot during the heyday of the castrati. I never thought that we'd be saying testes so much <laughs> scrotum. on the podcast. Scrotum. <laughs> um, well, at least there it sounds kind of academic. Right. There you go. Um, and the last thing, which didn't happen very often, but was a full removal of the scrotum with the testes still inside them. Um, that's a, mesi- a method that is called, um, sorry, this is a method in which the castrator tool was used, and it's often used today in livestock. It would be Ooh. heated up, and then you would just cauterize the wound, the wound right off, which would prevent infection. Boy. Um, I have a quote. <laughs> I know. I guess I, like, I'm so offended, but like people do this to their dogs, right? I mean, Cows. vets do it to their dogs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I guess I never really thought about it. When we got our cat, the cat was already neutered. Oh, that's good. Buddy. (laughs) (laughs) That's not on your hands. Not on my hands. (laughs) So the single and most often quoted description of the surgery comes from a work published in 1707 under the pseudonym of Charles de Dancion, an author who describes himself as a man of character. 
and the book was titled Eunuchism Displayed. And the quote is, the boy was placed in a warm bath to make him more tractable. Some small time after they pressed the jugular veins, which made the party so stupid and insensible that he fell into a kind of apoplexy, and then the action was performed with scarce any pain at all to the patient. Sometimes they used to give a certain quantity of opium to persons designed for castration, whom they cut while they were in their dead sleep and took from them those parts which nature took so great a care to form. (laughs) (laughs) So great a care. But actually, it was observed that most who had been cut after this manner died by the opium. I guess there was way too much in their system in the OD. Because obviously they're eight. They're not going right. to have an opium tolerance. Uh-huh. But again, if like 4,000 kids a year, if this is happening to, they could, you know, toss them left and right and center and nobody really cared. Oh, that's right. It's, it sounds really horrible. Well, wasn't this, but like, this was like children of poor families, right? Absolutely. This was, if yeah. the kid not had that a that voice. Makes it, that's not that it makes it better, but people were doing this to like try to make a livelihood for themselves. Exactly. Right, because there were basically like two avenues that you could become successful, right? You could be, as a castrati, you could become successful in the church, and so mm-hmm. that's like a mm-hmm. nice guaranteed income for you as a church chorister. <laughs> like today. Right. Just with <laughs> testicles. Right. With testicles. Um, or you could try and make it in the opera world, and that's really where the money was, was mm-hmm. in right. opera. So. right, right. Um, Fun fact, (laughs) both Haydn and Rossini were very talented singers as children, and um, they basically escaped becoming castrati by, like, the skin of their teeth. (laughs) Exactly. There's um, Rossini, the quote that I'm going to read to you right now. He said, I came within a hair's breadth of belonging to that famous corporation, or rather, let us say, Decorporation. Oh, oh good, one. Hey. good one, Rossini. As a child, I had a lovely voice, and my parents used it to have me earn a few paleo by singing in churches. One uncle of mine, a barber by trade, had convinced my father of the opportunity that he had seen the breaking of my voice should not be allowed to compromise an organ which, poor as we were, and as I had shown some predisposition towards music, could have become an assured future source of income for us all. Most of the castrati, in fact, and in particular those dedicated to a theatrical theatrical career, lived in opulence. So I think he convinced his parents at the very last second that he did not, under any circumstances, want to do this. And then he, you know, got pushed off and went to conservatory, and the rest is history. Yeah, I'm glad that happened. Yes. I also, for some reason, I feel like Rossini was like, I'm kind of imagining a situation where he's saying to people, you know, yeah, I mean... They wanted me to be a a castrati. Oh, totally. That man was full of ridiculous stories. Like, Like you know, he wrote The Barber of Seville in 12 Days Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. They wanted me, but I was like, nah. I was like, nah, this isn't for me. I've got some things. Right. But they wanted me so badly. I know. I was good. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the medical procedure, which I feel like I stumbled through in a very drunkenly manner. Questions? No, I mean... Do you want me to draw a diagram stumbled. for you? I think you... Yeah, never mind. You said it mm-hmm. well. Thank you. I was going to say you hit the nail on the head, but for... that was a little... <laughs> right. <laughs> I said it anyways. Hello. <laughs> yes, Naomi? For all of our listeners that have a desire to see, actually, some of the tools and implements used in this. No. The BBC did a documentary. They did. Uh, BBC. W- a while ago. Mm-hmm. It's 
really excellently done that's like all about the castrati and the castrato and they is. actually show you tools, the tools that they have. They're sort of like these cup, these tongs that have little cups on the end of them, I guess, yeah. to hold the right the testes. Oh, and gosh. and so you can, and they have this very um, proper Englishman who is, you know, describing <laughs> all of these tools. I feel like and his how name is done. Nigel or something. And then he removed the testes. <laughs> oh God! Yes. Yeah, so I'm sure you can find it on tool. You can find it on YouTube. You just have to Google around a little bit. But it's there, and it's very mm-hmm. well done, even yeah. though it will make you cringe. We'll so. see if we can find the link, and we'll post it up on the, the on website the for oh, you guys excellent. to okay, check out. Yeah. It really is interesting and a yes. great sort of, like, capsule of what the time period was. What like are we labeling like those as? Opera After Dark slash... Well, Art, it's just rather, all... OperaAfterDark.com Just go to OperaAfterDark.com because it's the blog is all the blog stuff is posted on the main page. Great. You just got to scroll down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will also add that yeah. Elspeth mentioned that it was technically illegal, right? Which it was for a very long time. Even in its heyday, it was technically illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the inter- people came up with very interesting ways of justifying mm-hmm. their son being ah. castrated. And so apparently two of the most popular ones were being kicked by a horse or bit by a pig, and mm. so oh, I didn't realize that pigs were, were biters. I guess there were feral pigs at that time. I, oh. You know, like a wild pig bit me when I was out hunting in in Italy. Anyway, and that was one where people are like, you know, right. yeah, oh, yeah, bit by a pig. Well, that's because also you these like an were official not done. reason. Yeah, but these these surgeries were not done by. Doctors. Technical doctors. No. Oh, by they were barbers. barber surgeons. Mm-hmm. Yes. Doing in, this in back alleys. In right. Seville at all? Huh. Huh. No, huh. sadly, this is a purely Italian thing. Gotcha. Yes. Way to go, Italy. You did say that. But um, instead of doctors, there became, this sort of created another profession. There were these mm-hmm. experts that would go around Italy, and they were experts in castration. Mm-hmm. That's how they made their livings. Oh, man. I'm sure they were paid well, but... Which, how would you like to look back on your life and think, I removed a lot of testes. All in the name of art. Oh, that's right. I don't think they were paid a lot because these were super poor families. Right. But they did such high volume that I think it probably mm-hmm. evened out. And also, even though the church was against it, the church totally paid for this. Yes. For a lot of those kids. I'm convinced. That's... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it all could have been avoided if we would just let the women sing patriarchy man women shall keep silent Mm. so then Naomi Mm -hmm. are you I seem to recall that you were going to tell us about some of the musical aspects of right so what would actually happen why was this particular state so Mm -hmm. desired right we talked Mm -hmm. about the enlarged lung capacity and so as you can imagine a singer that is extremely tall with very big lungs had and they're not singing really really low notes they're singing in the higher registers and so the result is that they can hold notes for like an absurdly long time right right and much longer than you know an adult female soprano could probably hold a note and because they had this huge lung capacity they could also ornament notes crazily because they had all this air to play with basically Hmm. right and so if you think about the aesthetic of that time period in music 
uh, the Baroque and the classical, but especially the Baroque where ornamentation is key, right? You want everything to be florid with lots of coloratura and the more ornamented, the better. And so you have the castrati have this kind of superhuman ability to do that in the mm -hmm. extreme. And so they become the rock stars of the stage because mm -hmm. they can do this. Isn't that, I know we'll talk about him later, but isn't that a scene in the Farinelli movie? This is literally all that I've seen from that movie, but isn't there a part where he's like sustaining this note for just like ever and ever? And yes, people just, he claimed that he could sustain a note for a solid minute. But people just like lose it in yeah, the audience, yeah. at least in the movie, like people yes. are fainting. Right, right. So, Right. Well, like Naomi was saying, um, the ones that made it, and there were very, very few that made it to the big time, but they were rock stars. Yes. And they toured opera houses all across Europe and in Russia, and they commanded these huge fees. They lived in opulent, luxurious lifestyle. Yeah, this was sort of like it for them. But they were also known for their tantrums, their yes. insufferable vanity, their emotional obsessions, their extravagant excesses, their super bitchy infuting, and surprisingly, their sexual prowess. Again, this is pretty much only for the ones that got nipped around the age of 12. Hmm. Right. Um, and so it becomes really... <laughs> exactly. Oh, mm. So Elspeth and I, when we were talking about this episode, we were kind of postulating as to, you know, trying to sort out the medical aspects from kind of the myths and legends that we've all heard right. when you kind of grow up in the, the operatic classical music world about how Castrati had these like crazy insane sex lives and women were just like throwing themselves at the Castrati because the idea was they could enjoy all of the pleasures of sex without the consequences mm. of pregnancy, right? With a castrato. Right. And also... Um, to jump on that a little bit, it was that in combination of, from what we've read right. from letters that women, high society women wrote and things like that, um, they could maintain that erection for an extremely long time. Obviously, they don't have testicles. They're not going to orgasm or anything like that. So it was more of a focus on female pleasure right. rather than male pleasure. So they got very famous for their, you know, sexual dealings. And like Naomi said, women were hysterical, especially in England. Um, right. They would go to these operas, and they had actually the really famous castrati all had um, wax figures that these admirers would like carry around with them like dolls to oh, all wow. of the, the operas, and they would just like hold them and shriek whenever they came on. Kind of like an action figure. Like an action will. figure. Or a bobblehead. Right. I'm trying to think. <laughs> or a bobblehead. I'm trying to think um, what you could compare it to oh. today. I mean, well, and I said I thought Justin Bieber, but that's stupid. Um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. What? Well. But I yeah, feel like, like movie stars, like an action hero, or. But it's 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 like a talisman that they're carrying, right? So oh. I feel like the closest thing we have to that are like band T-shirts, or like the In Sync dolls that came out. You know, like yeah. the, the no strings attached. Totally. Where they, Everyone yeah. knows how old we are now. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, good for them. Right, they've, so they've made the sacrifice. They I'm still did. thinking about the ones that didn't make it, and I'm assuming that their lives just 
I'm sure they made like you know moderate to low incomes in small churches. Who knows? But know? I'm sure they yeah. weren't living you know a supremely luxurious or fulfilled mm-hmm. life. Yeah. Well, who knows? You know, but it's hard to say. But I'm sure it wasn't great for them. Right. Moving on. Right. Um, like, so in England, women are throwing themselves, especially right. in England, at Castrati. High society women. And mm-hmm. like Naomi said, the obvious benefit was the built-in compre- contraception. Yep. Um, they were ideal targets for very discreet affairs with married ladies. Uh, very soon, popular songs and pamphlets began suggesting that castration actually enhanced a man's sexual performance. Mm-hmm. As I said before, the lack of sensation ensured extra endurance. Stories spread of the castrati as considerate lovers whose attention was entirely focused on the woman. As one groupie eagerly put it, the best of the singers enjoyed a spirit in no wise dulled and a growth of hair that differs not from other men. <laughs> when the most handsome castrato of all, Farinelli, who we'll get into much later, mm-hmm. visited London in 1734, there was a poem written by an anonymous female admirer that derided local men as bragging boasters whose enthusiasm expires too fast while Farinelli stands it to the last. Um, I have another fun random tidbit. Um, As I said before, English ladies were super into Italian castrati. Mm -hmm. Um, A castrato named Consilio made clever use of his very delicate feminine features while he was in London. He would arrive at Tris disguised in a dress and then conduct a torrid affair right under the husband's nose. Ah, nice. Clever. Even Casanova, the famous Casanova, was tempted. His most confusing moment came when he met a particularly lovely teenage castrato named Bellino in an inn. Casanova was bewitched, going so far as to offer a gold doubloon to see the boy's genitals. In an improbable improbable twist, when Casanova grabbed Bellino in a fit of passion, he discovered a false penis. It turned out that the castrato was a lady who historians identified as Teresa Lanti. She'd taken up the disguise to circumvent the ban on female singers in Italy. That's amazing. I know. The pair actually became lovers, but Casanova dumped her in Venice after after she bore him a son that, well, it might not have been his son. She she gave birth. Um, But after that, she sort of came out as a female and went on to become a successful singer in the more progressive opera houses of Europe where women were allowed on the stage. There we go. So good on her. Nice. Patriarchy! Yeah. Sorry. I feel like... It would have been a better story if Casanova would have, like, been with a castrati. A castrati. Well, I'm sure that Casanova was with men. I mean, right. I feel like that was a much more fluid time. Mm-hmm. You know? All right. Because it I seems in the story he had no problems with being with right. a man if he was attracted to him. Especially if he's, like, you know, trying to get the supposed castrato to reveal his genitals. Right. Right, exactly. Can you can you imagine being in a situation where you're like going for the penis and then it comes away in your hand? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I feel like this whole episode This is is gonna give people nightmares. No, 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 it's good. (laughs) Okay, so we talked a little bit about their their extra musical powers that are created by this altered state, yep. right? And so, historically, if we talk about the actual timbre of a castrato voice, we'll never really know because 
we know from accounts, historical writings, that it was the range of a female adult singer or a boy soprano, but the timbre was different. And writers talk right. about how, you know, it had this otherworldly sound that was unlike anything else. And there's actually only one recording of it, a real castrato yep. in existence because there was one... One guy who hung on into the <laughs> technological age of recording. Yeah. <laughs> the very early age of recording. And Morishi. Uh-huh. And so we actually have a recording of him. But we have to listen to it knowing that he was really old when this was recorded. He was definitely at the end of his career. Uh-huh. And recording technology at the time was not fantastic. How, how old are we talking? I think he was like 70. Yeah. Right? I, I think. Um... But just before we listen okay. to that, just know that the operation was banned in the early 19th century, officially 100% banned. Um, but, but Italian sort of quote-unquote doctors continued to create castrati well until about 1870. Hmm. And Moreschi went under the, the knife when he was seven. Young. Mm-hmm. And, and do you know what year that was? Or Well, he was born in 1858. Yes. Okay, so... 1865. Yeah, good job on that. About the time of the end of the American Civil War. Right. And he was actually a member of the Sistine Chapel Choir. Oh. Yeah, Yeah. well, those doctors, those quote-unquote doctors (laughs) who kept doing the castration, it was for the Sistine Chapel. Right. Hmm. Yeah, the church is mixed up in this. Yeah, I think they wanted that choir top-notch as long as they possibly could. Yeah. But yeah, last uh the last of the Castrides and we're gonna listen to a little clip of him now singing uh Ave Maria, right? Yes. Yep. And he was actually recorded six different times, but or attempted to record him at six different times, I think. Mm-hmm. Um but the recording dates that we're gonna listen to from around nineteen oh two, nineteen oh three. Mm-hmm. There's a British critic named Angus uh Harrow, if I got that wrong, I'm sorry. Um, but he dismissed him as, quote-unquote, Pavarotti on helium. So let's take a listen to Pavarotti on helium. <laughs> Here we go.
Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit of a wobble. A little bit of a wobble, a little bit painful sounding, but I think even though it's obviously not the the greatest digital quality, it can't rival, mm-hmm. you know, right? Recorded on a phonograph, so right. And also now we all have heard an authentic castrato. That's exactly. right. Yeah, so That's a very important something that I had not heard before. Historical artifact, right. so to speak. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So with that, since we've now overwhelmed you with the medical procedure and all the <laughs> lovely nitty-gritty details of the castrato voice, we're going to give you a break and We'll just uh, let you know that our next episode, we are going to dive more into the rock star status of the Castrati. So we're going to talk about some of the famous guys. Because all of you are thinking, I want more of this. (laughs) (laughs) More scrotums. Well, actually, if you do want more of the information that we've discussed, you Mm -hmm. should go to the website operaafterdark.com where we (laughs) check out our blog exactly and we'll have more information some links to some interesting Mm -hmm. stuff yes if you're daring yes also follow us on twitter yes and like us on facebook that's right exactly you'll get all the good stuff if you just do do those things all the normal Mm -hmm. things pretty pretty simple but we'll be back with you talking about the lighter side the the more awesome side the more awesome side of the castrati. So, so when being castrated paid off. <laughs> <laughs> when it was totally cool. <laughs> All right, with that, okay. thank you for listening to Opera After Dark. Bye. music is as fine as the fresh young voice of a castrata. No woman's voice has the same firmness, the same strength, and the same smoothness. Shall we? Mm, yes, let's show. We shall. Oh, I need to have like big, like, yeah. big energy. Everything's great. <laughs> Everything is awesome. Okay. Yes. Everything is good when you're part of the Opera Dark team. Anyway. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, be happy so we can talk about... Woo! I'm happy. Castrated singers in the 17th century. (laughs) Don't sure. 17th and 18th. And kind of One left into the 19th. One left into the 19th. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Opera After Dark. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. And I'm Kyle. And I'm really excited to let you guys know... Oh, that's terrible. We can do it again. I'm going to do it again. I feel yeah. like you can. You should make... You know, really project your falsetto, because okay, that was sure. good. That was good. Mm. Yeah. Of course, what people are really interested in is the operation. And here we've got 
three things with which the operation was done. A lancet, a cauterizing iron, and a castratore. This little pair of 18th century secateurs would have been used to remove the whole of a child's scrotum at one fell swoop. <laughs>